Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. folks online. Glad to have all of you here. Um, So what we want to do is um, help keep this idea of band-aids, buckets, and tables in front of you and keep it fresh. Um, We know this is a long journey. Some of us have worn band-aids and had scars and carried our buckets for for years or most of our life, and it's uh, sometimes they don't, those band-aids don't come off easily. So we just want to keep this in in front of you uh, over the next uh, few months. Let me start with a story. Um, you can imagine uh, a little four-year-old uh, Tommy. Uh, he's in the dining room playing with uh, one of his mom's, you know, most famous, uh, most prized figurines. Uh, it's maybe there's the shepherd and the, and the animals there, a manger scene. And he's there, and mom's in the kitchen, and she's preparing lunch. And then all of a sudden, she hears that sound, right? the sound of those figurines falling on the hard floor and, and breaking into pieces. Uh, now, Tommy, you know, he already feels bad because he's playing with something that he knows his mother really loves. Um, and mom rushes you know, from the kitchen into the dining room to that door and says, Tommy, don't move. And so now Tommy's feeling bad, and now mom has just yelled at him. And in that moment, it's easy for Tommy to think, oh, that figurine means more to my mom than, than I do. And he begins to question his value. Um, pretty, pretty simple, but a four-year-old mind's trying to make sense of things. Well, in a few moments, mom returns back from the kitchen with a dustpan and a broom. And she says, I didn't want, I want you to stay there. I didn't want you to move because I didn't want you to walk on some of those uh, pieces of, of that figurine and, and cut yourself. And so what mom intended totally out of love uh, for her child, uh, sometimes we can receive that wrongly. And years later, believe it or not, Tommy can struggle with his self-worth and his value. uh, Because once that lie is planted, we start reinforcing it. We start hearing that message when that message is not intended. And eventually, Tommy finds he struggles to to come to the Lord. Jesus says, come to me. We're talking about come to the table and receive living water. And yet, uh, Tommy finds that that difficult. And so Tommy gets his bucket. Uh, he uh, He might promote himself because he wants to be valued. And he might protect himself by making excuses when his value is questioned. Now, that's pretty, pretty simple, but uh, the reality is that scenario plays out all around us every day. Things happen to us much more severe than, than what happened to Tommy. And God calls us to see, uh, to be salt and to be light to people around us. But sometimes we don't know how to, how to do that. Uh, sometimes we're unsure how to engage with somebody. 
most of us, uh, you know, we, we have these things in our past and, and we function, we, we cope with them. Uh, sometimes, though, those, those pains in the past are so significant, so critical, that it keeps people from functioning uh, as, as God has, uh, desires for us. So that's that story. If we think about our passage today with uh, the woman at the well, uh, here's this woman that, as we've been talking about, you know, I, I don't know, I don't think she even knew she was carrying buckets. I think that was her life. That was how she had learned to cope uh, with whatever had happened in her past. Uh, she didn't have one husband. She had five. And it's interesting that Jesus points out her bucket. She says, yeah, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, you, you rightly say you don't have a husband. You, you have five. And, you know, if you notice, her, one of her tools in her bucket is that you're getting a little uncomfortable. You're kind of getting in my business. And so she pulls out a, a defense mechanism, and it's like, let's change the subject. Let's talk about where people worship, where Jews worship. And so Jesus uh, answers that, I think, in a meaningful way. But he brings that conversation right back to himself. He says, I am he. So he, he acknowledges her, uh, her, her question. And the question is, why does Jesus point out the bucket she's carrying? Why does he point out the fact that she has five husbands? And quite often, I've always thought that he did that because he was, you know, he was judging her sin. But it's interesting to note that Scripture says uh, Jesus himself says he did not come to judge. Um, John 12, 47, the last part of that verse says, I did not come, Jesus speaking, he says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In John 16, 8, Jesus says, when he, he being the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict people of sin. And so as we think about bringing people to the table, for the most part, people know their sin, whether they're saved or not. And we use the, like the Ten Commandments. It's very easy when we talk to somebody to uh, say, have you ever lied? Yeah, yeah, me too. Have you ever stolen anything? Yep, yep, me too. So using the law not to judge people, but to help people see their need for, for a Savior. And so you notice that the woman puts down her water jar, and she went back to the town. You know what I think? I think she ran back to town. I think she set her water jar down, and, and Scripture doesn't say this, but I think she was... There was such a phenomenal change in the woman at the well because when she goes back to town, she speaks with such passion and conviction and credibility. The people in the town believe her. They believe her to the point that they come out to see what it is she's talking about. This woman had no training. As far as we know, she didn't you know, attend a, a, a six-month course on evangelism. She simply took what Christ had done in her life and went and told other people, and people responded. 
And so that's what Jeremy's going to talk about this morning. Uh, God not only invites us to come to the table, and the table is a metaphor for communing with God, for fellowshipping with God in, in open, uh, transparent honesty. And when we come there, and when we are filled with good things from God, God says, yeah, invite your neighbor, invite your coworker, invite your family to come to the table. And so this is our, our fourth in our, in our series, uh, Band-Aids, Buckets, Coming to the Table, and Inviting Others to the Table. chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and we're beginning this conversation, as Matt said, talking about what does it mean to bring other people to the table. And I love how Jesus describes, or how John describes, this conversation that Jesus has with this woman. Just move this a little bit more. All right, here we go. John chapter 4, if you have it, let's read together, uh, beginning with verse... 27. You know, stand with me, please, as we read this. Please. These are the words of the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 27 and following. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four months, then comes the harvest. Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper can rejoice together, for in this case the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. These are the very words of God. Please be seated. So Jesus, um, Jesus is at the well, the woman's at the well, and one of the things I want to just begin by noting is that Jesus comes not only to transform this woman, he comes to transform this woman, and he comes to use her life as a bridge to transform the community around her, because that's what happens. She, she has this amazing encounter with Jesus, and it doesn't stop with her. 
It doesn't stop with her. In fact, it becomes this natural spring, this outflow of her life to all the people in the town where she goes back to. But in verse 27, it's interesting because the disciples arrive and Jesus is talking to a woman. They're like, okay, he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He's a man. She's a woman. What is going on here? And yet it says, we're not going to ask him about this because at least what they've learned so far is sometimes you just don't question Jesus. They wait and the woman leaves and um, amidst all this cultural barrier breaking stuff, the woman goes and invites people to see this man who told her everything she ever did. Now, what motivates her to do this? What motivates her to do this? I think part of the answer is tied with what Jesus has just done for her. And if you look really briefly in uh, verse 10, when Jesus and her are having this exchange about water, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Like, like she'd been asked for water, like actual water drawn up out of a well and Jesus turns it and he says, there's actually something that I can give you. And, and it's tied to a couple of important things. You have to know the gift of God. I, I think this woman finally came to a realization of the gift that God wanted to give her. Th this living water. John in verse, um, in verse 14 describes this well of water that springs up as eternal life. When she sees who Jesus is, the Messiah, the one who has come, lights go off, I think, inside her head and in her heart. She's experienced a revelation of God to her. And it's touched her so deeply that, that she knows she doesn't deserve it. She knows she can't do anything to earn it. And she knows it comes from Jesus. She knows this gift of God, the freely given living water or eternal life, and that this gift is tied to a person. It's tied to the Messiah, the identity of the person standing before her. Not only that, she understands that she has to ask for a drink. And it's interesting because she asks him for a drink, and, and that's what begins the whole second part of her conversation with him. She says, sir, give me this living water. And I think in one sense, she's thinking there's actually like living water, like fresh water, spring water, flowing water. That's what she expected. And then they begin this whole spiritual conversation of what are all the things Jesus says to her that are keeping you from me? You know, go get your husband, bring him back. I don't have one. That's right. You have five and you're living with a six who's not your own. Jesus comes to her in grace, but he comes to her in truth. And he says, this is what's reality in your life, and I want to give you a gift you don't deserve, but a gift that will restore our relationship. What motivates this woman to do this is that she has received living water. She's understood that she's a sinner, but she's understood that she's received a gift. And whenever we receive a gift, it's, 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 a, it's a pleasant surprise. Um, when, I was a, uh, when I was a kid, um, we would, we'd go to church on Saturday and uh, our church met on Saturday. And so we'd go in. And when I was really young, my, my family had a friend. His name was Mr. Vitorovich, okay? My, my parents had grown up, uh, not grown up, they had served several years in a French-speaking part of Africa. And uh, Mr. Vitorovich was from Eastern Europe and he knew French. So when uh, my parents would walk in, he would say, bonjour. And they would go into all this 
parler du français type stuff. That's really about all the French I know. Uh, they begin having this just brief French conversation, and it kind of brought them back to their time in Africa, and it brought Mr. Vitorovich back to his time over in, in Europe. But in the course of this, he would always try to do something to engage us kids. And he would, he would even like bribe us, like just say hi to me, just ask me and I'll give you this quarter or this dollar. Like I remember one day I'm standing behind, behind or beside my mom or my dad and he's like, if you say hello to me, this dollar is yours. <laughs> you know, he's basically asking me to ask him for something, right? He wanted to give me a gift, and I, being the four or five-year-old, said, mm-mm, and I hung, I hung behind my mom, my dad. I didn't want to be seen. I, I believed I was unseen, probably, at that point in time. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, here's the message of the gospel, but you've got to ask for it. A lot of us, we've heard the message over and over and over again. We've never asked for it. Jesus says, if you ask me for a drink, I will give you living water. I will give you eternal life. She has experienced this grace and truth in the God-man Jesus. And this is what I believe pushes her, not pushes her in a negative way, but, but just begins something within her heart that is led by God to begin to share this amazing news that she has experienced and loved and grace and mercy from God himself. Now, notice, when she brings people back to this town, in verse 30, it says this. It says, um, uh, they left the town, okay? So she's back in town. She's got all these people with her. And they made their way to him, okay? I talked about this a little bit last week. Don't overlook that. She didn't take them back to a doctrine, she didn't take them back to a creed. She didn't take them back to a religious ritual. She didn't take them back to a gathering, per se. She took them to a person. I think this is what's so important about the gospel and our understanding about how to bring people to the table is bringing people to the table, in other words, an active dynamic relationship with God, that can only happen when we take them to a person. Sometimes we want to bring them back to a culture or to a tradition. Sometimes we want to change their behavior before God reveals himself and they receive this gift of grace in their life. And we get things backwards when we do that because most importantly, we have to introduce people to a person because that's what the Christian faith and belief is all about. It, it, in early times, they were called the people of the way. And, and of course, there was a way that you would walk as a believer that was different than the people who did not follow Jesus, but it was always tied to a person, Jesus himself. Sometimes in our faith and sometimes in our walk, we think as we go along the day that it's all about us, it's all about our story. But I think this woman understood what, what the writer of the song said when they wrote, all I once held dear and I built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain I'd counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing Jesus. At the end of the story is always Jesus. We take people to a person. Of course, with that comes a whole bunch of other things. 
comes the work that God wants to do in our life, comes the direction he wants to give us, comes the desire and even the power to walk out that way, but it's always tied to a person. Sometimes in sharing our faith, uh, we make the story about us. Now, the woman says, come, tell, come, let me show you a man who told me everything I ever did. So she's sharing part of her story, but her story is basically a bridge. If you think of it this way, on the one hand, she has her life and the life of all the people in the town. She's a Samaritan, all right? They, they have a very different belief system in part than the Jewish people did, all right? They worshiped in a different place. They only held to the first five books of, of the Bible, the Torah. They didn't have a faith at this point in Jesus the Messiah. And so she introduces and she says, hey, here, here's, here's the Messiah. Here's a prophet, unlike, or a prophet um, like Moses, Deuteronomy 18. He told me everything I ever did. And her life then becomes not just about what she did. It becomes about here's where he met me and here's where he took me. And she takes them directly to him. Our testimony is something that uses our experience as a bridge for taking people to Jesus, to his grace and to his truth. I don't know if you like to travel over bridges or under bridges or anything like that. Uh, I've been through some notable bridges in my life. Years ago, I was sailing with a good uh, friends of our family in San Francisco Bay, and we we're sailing out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge at night. Spectacular, right? There's a big bridge that goes from one side to the other. Some of you may have driven over the Mackinac Bridge, right? We have a pretty cool bridge in the state of Michigan. And the first time I did that, I went, okay, buckle up, here we go. And I was like 10 and two, completely locked in. I'm going over this bridge because I wanted to get from the lower to the upper, and then I wanted to get from the upper back to the lower. Um, I've been down in Florida where my brother lives, and um, we've been over these bridges, and there's like a, I think it's called a sky bridge down in um, Tampa Bay area. And you start on this bridge, and sometimes you can't even see where it's going to end, but you know, at the end of this, I really hope that there's land. <laughs> All this woman's story is, is a conduit for God to take the life experience of someone here and say, look at what Jesus has done. Let me take you to him. This is the invitation that this woman has for the people of her community. Every one of our stories is unique, but the common denominator does not change. It's Jesus. Now, in verses 31 and following, the, uh, the disciples do something I just find funny. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something, right? They were sent to go get food, all right? And, and they said, Rabbi, eat something. And then Jesus responds, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And you're like, oh my word, Jesus, what are you talking about? Did, did someone bring you something? Like what, what just happened here? How do you have food when you clearly don't have food here? And they're just going, okay, let's just figure this out. It's kind of like the conversation that the woman has. They start talking about this water thing and Jesus is talking about spiritual life-giving water and the woman's talking about actual H2O, right? And now they're talking about food, and Jesus is saying, I have this food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples are going, but you don't have any food. <laughs> I just, I feel for them sometimes, because I think I'd probably be confused many days too, following Jesus going, what is he doing now? They say, could someone have brought him something to eat? And then Jesus explains in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, Food for Jesus is not just a morsel that you eat. It's something that satisfies. 
It's something that nourishes. It's something that that you, you break into and you go, oh, that is good. Yesterday, um, I was at Meyer, and we were, I was shopping for some stuff, and I came across one of my favorite childhood treats, right? Nutty bars. I, I don't know, how, how many of you like nutty bars who are here? Okay, oh, these are so good. I really hope they're as good as I remember them, because it's been a while since I've had one. I remember when I was in school, I'd go through the line, and uh, this would be one of the treats I would get sometimes when I was getting a lunch. So, um, now, I should read the instructions or the uh, directions, not the directions, the uh, ingredients on here. Dextrose, peanut butter, enriched flour, and a whole bunch of stuff that I can't pronounce. Okay? So here it is. At its core, it's chocolate, right? And it's peanut butter with something crispy. It's delicious. I just, I really like it. You don't want me to eat in front of you, do you? There's a potluck today, by the way. I hope you're going to join us. I hope I can get this thing open. Ooh. So good. No, I won't do that to you um, while I'm talking. These are so good. Like, I love these. And when I was a kid, I would peel these apart because you get the peanut butter in between, you know, and then you'd get the wafer thin, and then you'd get the chocolate on the outside. As I got older, I began to eat things that were called, I call them in our house, a poor man's Reese's, uh, because we don't always have Reese's in the house, which is probably a good thing. But this is something very different right here. I, I bought this at the market a while back. And this is a, um, a dark chocolate. This is actually 90% cacao, right? This is, how many of you like dark chocolate? This is legit stuff. I don't know if you've ever had this. It's by Verse, and that's not a commercial for them, but it's good chocolate. So you know chocolate's good when you go, did you hear that? You know it's good. All right, I am gonna eat a little bit of this. Um, so what I would do is I graduated, basically. I went from the amazing nutty bar, right, to chocolate. Some of you are like, oh, man, bring on this potluck. And peanut butter, right? There's a, there's a distinct difference between these two things. On the one hand, this over here is filled with a lot of stuff. On the other hand, this is filled with just a few simple ingredients. Why do I tell you this? Besides the fact that I really want a piece of chocolate. Jesus is satisfied by food that sustains, food that nourishes. A lot of times in our life, we settle for the nutty bar. Don't worry, I'll eat this later if my kids don't beat me to it. Um, Sometimes we like to settle for something that is not near as pure, not near as good, and not near as dark as this particular chocolate bar right here. It's delicious. Um, Jesus' food, he says, is to do the will of, of him who sent me, and to finish his work. In other words, he's saying, what really energizes me, what really nourishes me, is to do God's will, to walk in relationship with my Father. And I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit, says in the beginning part of chapter 4 is that he had to go through. It was necessary for him to go through. I think this is a leading of the Father to say, this way. Now, of course, Jesus is divine, and he is the Son of God, and all these things, but he had such a close relationship with his Father that that his will was what Jesus wanted to do most. Eternal life, the Gospel of John describes, is knowing God and the one who sent him, Jesus Christ. How might doing the will of God 
and being nourished by the work of God change how we live. A lot of us are simply satisfied with a tasty nutty bar. When God really wants to change our appetites and give us really, really good, smooth chocolate. More than food, Jesus is sustained by sharing the kingdom. And this is what God wants to be the, the action of our lives. When we come to Jesus and we come and we sit at the table with him in relationship, we, we, we walk in a different way. We walk knowing that our worth is not in what we do or what we know. Our worth is in that which has been given to us by God. We, we walk knowing that we don't walk alone. We walk because we have God with us, the Holy Spirit. We walk not because we have to. We walk after God and seek to obey his commands because he's given us this desire and this power to do so through his spirit. It becomes a desire of our hearts, not a law to crack down on top of our heads. Jesus says it this way. Matt kind of quoted this earlier. He says in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. By the way, he doesn't say come to me all, he didn't say come to me all you who have it all together because I don't know about you, none of us have it all together. Um, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Have you ever been weary and heavy laden? He says, when you come to me, the promise is I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my teaching upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Here, Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. And that is what it means to come to the table. It's, it's not to be satisfied with all the other things in life, it's to be satisfied by Christ and Christ alone. To, to say, as Paul does, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship with his sufferings. It's to walk with God day by day by day. In verses 35 through 38, Jesus begins using an agricultural metaphor, all right, about the harvest to describe that even now, Jesus says, even now, when he's saying this, through the work of the Spirit and the prophets and others, there is a harvest of people who are coming to believe in Jesus and his redemptive work as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How does he know that? Because he just had a conversation with a Samaritan woman near a well, and she's received living water. The, the, the people to whom the message, you know, that Jews thought wouldn't go out to, perhaps, she received it. We're going to look at the story in a couple of weeks, but when Jesus approaches Nicodemus in the chapter right before this, in John chapter 3, he's talking to a well-educated, illiterate man in a patriarchal society. Not only that, he's a teacher, and here's a person who's trying to figure out, with all this knowledge and all this intellect, wait, what does it mean to be born again? And Jesus brings this message in a different way to a different person on the opposite side of the spectrum. He says, here's what it means to be born again. Believe in me. Ask and let me give you the gift of God that will well up within you eternal life in water. Our work may be, our work as Christians, as Jesus followers, may be preparing people in this agricultural metaphor, he says, you know, that there's a sower and there's a reaper. And, and 
I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. There's some work going on even in our world today that is sowing work. We, we, we partner. We have the opportunity to partner with people um, in, in missions who are doing work where the gospel has not gone. You know, they're working in Muslim contexts, many of them. And they're preaching Christ, and they're, they're building relationships where they're sharing the good news of Jesus with people who haven't heard. There's sowing work that goes on there. Sometimes it's months and months and years and years before they see someone come to faith. But God is at work. Not only that, in, in our context, right, there can be a hardness towards the gospel. But as we continue to share the message we're being faithful to what God has called. We share the message. We share the message. We allow the Spirit to convict. We allow the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit does to reveal truth. And we just share the message. We bridge God's, or sorry, we bridge their story with our story of how God has redeemed us and transformed us, and we introduce them to a person, Jesus. Our work may be preparing people. It may be planting seeds of God's story or watching people come into the kingdom. Whatever it is, engaging in this work is engaging in the will of God. We can ask ourselves the question, what drives what we do? And I want to look at it this way. Many of us live by things we believe, but sometimes we believe things that are in error, right? Um, sometimes, or some of us here, we believe the lie in this whole living the Christian life, we believe the lie that being a Christian was meant to be comfortable instead of a pursuit after Christ, no matter the cost. We believe that lie. Some of us, we choose to pursue our own interests geared, toward, geared towards our earthly desires. We believe that God wants, we, we believe that what God wants to give us won't compare to what we can earn ourselves. In other words, we, we, we pursue the nutty bar and instead of what God wants to give us, the really good-looking piece of dark chocolate still on the table. Some of us, what drives what we do is we, re, we replay this guilt and shame conversation from past things that tell us this lie that God can't use our brokenness. God can absolutely use our brokenness, especially when we say, God, would you use my brokenness? God, would you use my whole life? I'm here. I'm ready to do your will. Some of us uh, we, we have moments where we walk in pride, right? Pride is basically the root of all sins. It's the sin that says, I am more important than anything else. I don't know about you, I've spent a decent part of my life in this thing called pride. Um, we believe that the lie that the story of Jesus is first and foremost about us, or we believe the lie that just the story in general is first and foremost about us instead of about God. In the work of the kingdom... When it comes to bridging people from where they're at over to where God is and God's revealed truth and, and using our story to do that, in the work of the kingdom, know this, God always goes before you. God always goes before you. Being at the table, in other words, living in dynamic relationship with God means that we are ready to join God in his work. It means we're ready to say, out of our walk with Jesus Lord, what do you want me to do today? God, who are you going to place in my path? God, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to talk to this person. God, would you give me the words to do that? It, it may be that you have people in your life who are walking far from God. It may be that God will use your life just as an example 
to show them what it means to walk after Jesus. It may be that God will use someone else's life to show that same person in a different way than what you can speak into their life. At the heart of it all, God is there. Because it's not just introducing them to a church, or it's not just introducing them to a certain way of worship, it's introducing them to a person, the person of Jesus. And I love how the story finishes up. Um, verse 39, now, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. I love that because it reminds me testifying is important. I, I didn't look this word up. Um, I, typically, like the word testify comes from a word in Greek that means, that, that's the word martis, and it means to be a martyr. It means, it means to share and, and to show what God has done in your life. I'm not sure if that's the word here because I didn't look it up. But, but her story, she, she, is, she is proclaiming not just who she was, more than that, she was proclaiming what Jesus had done. Notice, she says, come and um, let me show you a man who told me everything I ever did, right? Her story is important. It's part of the bridge, but the core content of this is a person. In verses 40 and 41, it says, therefore, all right, and therefore is there, um, because it's important. It's connecting. You know, when you read a therefore, they always say, Why, what is the, the therefore, therefore? Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him two days. So, so John's connecting what she has proclaimed about Jesus' work in her life. And now they've gone, not just to her, they've gone to Jesus. And just imagine this culturally from what we've talked about. Here's a bunch of Samaritans saying, would you stay with us? We recognize you're a Jewish rabbi. We recognize there's a lot of things we culturally don't see eye to eye on. I mean, the woman even says to him, Jews do not associate with Samaritans in verse 9. And they say, would you stay with us? Would you eat at the same table as us? Would you wake up in the morning and show us what it means to commune with the Father? W would you walk with us through these next couple days? And w would you teach us the ways of Yahweh? And it says, many more believed because of what he said, right? Because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. I think what I'd like to just kind of boil it all down to is this. When it comes to sharing Christ, the most important thing for you and I is that we sit at the table with God regularly. That we have a dynamic relationship with God because that is the greatest outflow to the world around us. I, can go a lot of, I could go a lot of places. I could say a lot of things. I could speak in my own wisdom, right? But I can't replace what God wants to do through a heart that says, God, here I am. Would you lead me to the person you want me to be? Would you lead me to the person you want me to share? God, would you go before me? God, would you use my story, my brokenness, my troubles, my, my own past, not to just wallow in that, but to proclaim Christ and say, here's how Jesus gives living water, even in the midst of all these things. This woman's story is important. It's an important bridge, but it's not the end. The end is Jesus. As we kind of bring this to a close, I want to invite the worship team to come on up. But I want to give you just a couple of brief comments about how do we apply this? 
What are we inviting you and us to do? And, and just a couple simple things. What I'm inviting you to do is to present yourself to God. That's what Romans chapter 12 talks about. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God wants us to present ourselves to him and have this dynamic relationship with him that begins with us saying, Jesus, would you give me a drink of living water? Some of you here today, you've never asked Jesus, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. Can I just say, it's so simple. Recognize that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. His death covers like, like an atonement, like an offering, all the sins that we commit past, present, and future, when we say, Jesus, I can't pay for these sins myself. I need you to do it. He goes, yes, let me give you this living water. Some of us need to come back to this water today, though, right? Like we have a relationship with God by faith, but we've walked in patterns over the course of the last days, weeks, and months where we've tried to make this ourselves. And he says, would you come back to me? Would you stop ceasing, or would you stop striving to make this all happen on your own accord? Would you trust me? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, let me give you rest. Present yourself to God today, tonight, tomorrow. Make an active part of your day, more active than checking your text messages or checking your email or checking the news or checking the weather or checking your social media or anything else. Make an active part of your day of God, here I am. You need to set, your, set an alarm in your phone like three times, four times a day. It just goes off and you just remind yourself, God, here I am. Would you lead and guide me by your spirit? Meet with God. Trust that as you open your Bibles and pray, that God will reveal himself to you. Effective witness begins with our personal and corporate encounters with the Lord. Sometimes we think that we have to have a formal ministry to meet with God, or we have to be at a gathering at 930 on Sunday morning or whatever. This is important. It's, it's biblical to gather together as believers, to proclaim the praises of the Lord, uh, to meet regularly together. It's, it's important. But friends, you can be here and not connecting with God, right? Similarly, you can be online right now and God could be speaking to you and you reach out to him and he's right there. Connect with God today. Connect with a local church to help you grow in your faith. Um, you have a study guide that you hopefully received on your way in. If you're online, it's on our bulletin page. You can just scroll down to the bottom and it's part of that text right underneath the bulletin. It's got some going deeper questions, some more passages for you to look at. And at the very end of it, Ron, who helped put us, who put that together for us, he's one of our elders. He, he invites you to write a two minute testimony. I'd love to encourage you. W would you write a two minute testimony? You know? Here is where God has met me. Here's what God is doing in my life. It's a bridge that can help connect a person and their story to Jesus. 
right? It's not asking you to give your whole life history, but it's asking you to think about if I met someone in my family, at my work, on my sports team, how would I connect them to who Jesus is and what he's done in me? How would I authentically do that? Take a few moments this week to describe your journey to the table and what God is doing spiritually in your life right now during this season. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.